0: Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional
1: conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz.
0: And welcome back, fellow patriots, to a new week here at the Conservative Review Podcast. One in a kind, the only show that discusses what is actually important, not just to conservatives, but really to all patriotic taxpayers. Um, just good loving Americans that just care about our country, our country. Now, we're recording a little earlier as we did last week. I'm going to be out tomorrow and the news cycle for this week is not yet set. But I could tell you what is not going to be in the news cycle. I could tell you we are not going to discuss Mexico and we're not going to discuss our own border. I think we all know impeachment always going to be a hot topic. We always know that Syria is going to be at the forefront. But as we noted on Friday's show, there is this odd phenomenon throughout our government that our government doesn't view Mexico as a national security problem. So we had this event we spoke about on Friday in Culiacan in Sonora province where basically the Mexican government failed. Um, they tried to capture El Chapo's son and another son, there were really two sons, and a bunch of hitmen for the Sinaloa cartel came out, surrounded them, threatened to uh, kidnap and assassinate the military families that were in that city. So the military basically let the guy go on the orders of President Amlo. And we have a failed state, not in Syria, although that is failed. We have a failed state on our border. Now, it's worse than that, because we now know that that operation was ordered by the American government. DA wanted the guy. We wanted to extradite him. Um, You know, we just uh, convicted El Chapo. Now we put his son on trial and it failed. That's a big problem. Um, That's a bigger problem than Syria, as we noted on Friday. Mexicans are the largest foreign national um, or or ancestry of anyone, maybe outside of Germans in this country, and they're much newer for the most part than than Germans. You know, Americans of German descent. That creates a tremendous amount of communities for these very same cartels to operate in, and they do operate in them. They're at our border. They're in our border. They're in all fifty states. Yet somehow. Nobody in power, whether it's state, DOD, DHS, um, and certainly these mentally ill buffoons in Congress view what is going on in Mexico as a national security problem. So these same teletubbies like Mitt Romney out there giving his blood, sweat and tears speech on Syria is not talking about the fact that we have watershed events taking place. With our neighbor, who happens to also be our number one trading partner, who happens to also have the most foreign nationals in our country of any other country, um, who happens to have criminal elements in our country fomenting violence, shouldn't we view this as national security? Now, rather than doing a repeat from Friday, we're going to bring you a very familiar voice to those of you who are longtime listeners. Jason Jones is my go-to person with all things Mexico border cartels. He is a retired captain for uh, Texas Department of Public Safety, worked in their intel and counterterrorism division. And nothing, not to take away from his work, but it's truly a testament to the failure of our government that I have to go to a former state Texas official to get the scoop on what's going on in Mexico and the cartels. When there seems to be nobody in the federal government that even knows what's going on, much less has the right perspective. Jason recently took a trip to Mexico, um, not knowing that this would go on in Culiacon, but there's a bunch of other stuff going on that ties into this. I wanted to give you a broader perspective and give you an intel briefing that you will literally hear nowhere else. So with no further ado, Jason, welcome back to the Conservative Review Podcast.
1: Oh, Dan, it's good to be back with you. And thanks for having me. If I'm looking a little rough this morning, it has been a long week, buddy. Long yeah, I mean, week. this is like the so. Super
0: Bowl for you. And, and and frankly, I wish it would be for our national security officials. Um, before you give us an update of what it went on in KuliaCon, what is still going on there, um, the the fallout, and then tying that into multiple events, demonstrating that the Mexican government is losing control over their own country and the implications of that, I want to set the table with the following quote. I don't think the two of us ever discussed this. I've said it to my audience a couple of times. I published this in a couple of recent articles. Um, But if you haven't heard it, it, it's very important to frame this. In 2004, the 9-11 Commission staff put out a staff report, one of the ancillary reports to the main commission report, On terrorism and travel and it is so simple as it is eloquent quote it is perhaps obvious to state that terrorists cannot plan and carry out attacks in the united states if they are unable to enter the country yet prior to september 11th while there were efforts to enhance border security no agency of the u.s government thought of border security as a tool in the counterterrorism arsenal indeed even after 9 11 hijackers demonstrated the relative ease of obtaining u.s visa uh, obtaining a u.s visa and gaining admission to the united states border security still is not considered a cornerstone of national security policy we believe for reasons we discussed in the following pages that it must be made one jason 15 years later They still don't view it as the cornerstone of national security. They were talking a little bit more about visas and Middle Easterners here, but the same applies for the physical border and Middle Easterners, too. But the Mexican cartels. Why is it not sexy to talk about what's like a stone throws away from Roma, Texas?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And Dan, I'm just going to say, you know, uh, since January of this year, you have been a very outspoken voice on this. You've been able to help me get the word out to the folks to try to get ahead of this thing. Um, And you've been a great voice on this. So thank you for that. And unfortunately, what we saw in Cooliacon on the 17th of this week was nothing really new. The difference, though, the difference here is that the world was able to see it because Culiacan has about 700,000 people. It's a pretty good sized city. So we got a lot of good footage from Mexican citizens all over that city showing the world what was really occurring. And I can tell you as someone that built programs and now this is my third war to go after cartel leadership in Mexico, working with three letter agencies. um, I can tell you that this isn't new. This has been going on uh, in Tamaulipas and at the Juarez uh, Plaza uh, state of Tamaulipas and state of Chihuahua since 2010. I mean, we were seeing these exact events that, that was seen in Kulakon occurring at our border. It's just now it's been publicized. So as bad as the incident was, we finally have the world's visibility on this. So let's talk about the incident itself for just a second. What occurred was great work from Homeland Security Investigations to get a warrant in Mexico um, in order for the Mexican government to go after one of the brothers named Avidio Guzman. This is one of the sons of Chapo Guzman, Um, a very strong and powerful individual within the Sinaloa cartel. The operation was conducted by Sedena, which is basically our army, um, and a group within them that are vetted units that work very closely with the U.S. government. They, along with National Guard, conducted this operation. Now, that operation, despite what you're hearing now, was successful. A video was captured, he was apprehended, and he was taken into custody. Now, what's not getting out publicly at this point is that his brother, Ivan, who is one of the Los Chapitos, the very strong wing of the really running the the organization under El Mayo, and who is in control of many of the cicadios in that organization, specifically a group known as Los Demons, responded to the brother's call for help. Um, they brutally attacked Sedana forces and national guard and Sedana was able to overpower them. At one point, we know even Ivan himself was on the radio calling for backup. And that's what erupted, uh, the city because Sedana had him pinned down. So they literally were about to get both of them. And from what I'm hearing is that they could have gotten Ivan. Uh, however, once a video uh, was, was moved out of the area, Ivan requested help and the city turned on Sedana forces. So what you're hearing now is Samar wasn't used. You're hearing the generals are, conducted a bad operation. You're hearing that there was no air support. The tactical issues on the ground when things don't go as successful as a government wants it to, find ways of blaming the operational uh, elements on this. That's just how it goes make no doubt generals will lose their job over this one because a president of a country as a result of this, uh, operation, he, he literally cowered down to these terrorists and he made a nation kneel to organize crime who really should be terrorists. So it's shameful. But one of the things, and one of the reasons that he did that is because and what's not getting out publicly is the level of hostage taking they did at mm-hmm. one point. The cartel even surrounded the military barracks and threatened to execute the families of the soldiers if uh, a video was not released. And there were more taken at a much higher level that I can't discuss right now. So the problem now, though, that's not also being talked about is that there are secondary and third effects to this that are huge. And that why this event is a major significant tripwire is because what is going to happen now Is any time a boss within a cartel, a capo, a plaza boss, any of them are captured, what do you think is going to happen? They're going to take a lot of people hostage and they're going to start executing. The precedent has been set.
0: Jason, when you said the city turned on them, do you mean that the general population is more with the Sinaloa cartel than with the Mexican government?
1: No, I don't don't mean to say that. So thank you for, for clarifying that. What I mean is that. We consistently underestimate the power and the strength of the cartel. I mean, Dan, there are numerous videos of convoys of 40, 50, 60 vehicles. And this is just one convoy of back-to-back convoys of armored and non-armored vehicles with Sicarios just hanging out of the vehicles coming into the city. So that's, that's what I mean in detail about this. I mean, the response was not just internal. It was external as well. It was massive. And once once uh, Ivan was, was free, I mean, he, he called in everyone and said to burn the city. And so this was about to get a whole lot worse. And this goes back to everything you've always heard me talk about is that our intelligence community and our State Department continually, consistently underestimate the strength and the power of the cartels. That's the issue.
0: Because that, that's what concerns me here. A lot of people listening will say, yeah, you know, Mexica, Mexico sucks. You know, they, they don't know where to do anything. But in this case, I mean, if we issued a warrant, in, which we did in the D.C. Federal uh, District Court, and AMLO agreed to get him for us, you better believe DEA was involved at some level. I don't know oh, how sure. operational. Yeah. So that's somewhat of a black eye for us, too.
1: Well, it is. But, you know, it's also some great work. I mean, you're talking about probably six months to a year's worth of work because first you have to get the indictment in the United States. Then you have to get a provisional warrant in Mexico. Then you have to do the operational building to go after them in an area that they control. So I, I can't stress the level of operational involvement of this and how big they are. And I can tell you as someone that has done this. That has gone after these bosses and worked with the Mexican government and our community uh, to do these sort of operations. This is great work. So, you know, you can say it, it wasn't done right, but at the end of the day, they got their target. They had him. The underestimation consistently by everyone in Mexico and the United States is the power and strength of these cartels. And it's why I have come out publicly to try to protect our country and to instill policies in our nation to. To fix this problem, because I want the folks watching Dan to know this is fixable. What you have is a leadership failure in the executive level of our State Department, specifically in the Western Hemisphere and within the intelligence community.
0: So is the mindset of these people like, yeah, it's like drug wars, cartel on cartel stuff? Although it's not really cartel on cartel. I mean, this is cartel versus the Mexican government that we've worked with very closely. I mean, Trump has secured a lot of agreements with immigration. um, And, you know, when ISIS goes and sacks the Assad government in um, in Raqqa, we're like, oh, dude, I mean, all hands on deck. We send our troops there. So, I mean, this is a big deal if what's officially more than an ally, it's our most important neighbor and trading partner um, that we share a very volatile border with cannot control certain towns and as you you were the first to note this wasn't like some small small enclave this is a city of about 780,000 people it's bigger than my hometown of Baltimore Maryland um that that's the you know largest city in Sonora. there we've had set about 900 people um were killed the first 8 months of the year in that province there this is a very violent area but isn't this part of the broader trend we saw earlier last week that I believe, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, that it was a Jalisco cartel um, ambushed about a dozen or so Mexican police in an area further south, in, in southern Mexico. Um, and how does this come back to us? The same week, northern Alabama, rural area, it's not kind of like LA and New York where, you know, the drug trafficking's going on. 35 people arrested for pushing stuff for CNG, uh, CJNG, um, the Jalisco cartel. So the fact that they're getting this strong against the Mexican government and the fact that they have the presence in our country should lead all of our listeners who maybe don't give a darn about AMLO and the Mexican government to believe that, hey, we got a problem.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'll tell you, it's not new. Uh, Remember, this is just an operation that was conducted where the country literally gave him back. Now, this isn't new. And the reason I say that in 2011, when Lascano was killed by Samar, his body was literally taken from the Zetas. So uh, I'm sorry, taken back by the Zetas. Uh, So we've seen this before. This is a tactic they use. The game changer here, though, is Mm -hmm. the fact that the level of hostage taking they took and the threats that they put upon the Mexican government. We will see this again. And, and, you know, you've heard me say this in the past, buddy. When one cartel does something, another one will do it very quickly. They cannot allow one capability in another cartel and they don't have it. So we're going to see this repeated. Now, the incident that you're talking about where the 13 officers were killed, a horrible, brutal attack. Um, They were ambushed. You're talking about uh, Cartel Jalisco New Generation. That is where the war is going on down in Michoacan. And in June, what a real game changer that's not come out publicly is that, uh, the states of Guerrero, the state of Michoacan, and the state of Tamaulipas, which borders us, uh, are all embattled from the big cartels, uh, cartel on cartel. So we're, while we're talking about Culiacan, the truth is that was just a surgical, literally a surgical precision operation to make one arrest uh, and that went global, really internally in Mexico. The wars between the cartels are ongoing. I just got back from Roma, Texas, where I sat across from ground zero of the most violent area in the state of Tamaulipas, which is Miguel Alemán, which is where the Gulf Cartel and Cartel del Noreste are battling for control. And that's right across from our border. Oh yeah, buddy. Just right there. I mean, just the level of smuggling that I watched as I, as I hit on the side of the the bluffs and we videotaped was incredible. Uh, I actually got to see my first drone, uh, maybe one of the first people to video it too. I saw a cartel drone take off from Miguel Alemán, come into the United States in the middle of the night, by the way, had a small green light, and then watched it as it looked like it was hovering back and forth, looking down into the darkness. And it was over an area we call Salinas, crossing a well-known human and drug trafficking area. Stayed on our side between five and seven minutes, then went back, landed. And then I looked down on the water and here comes a whole group of people, a raft was put in the water and guides escorted them right across where that drone had just been. Now, you say, okay, that's a drone, you got to see it. Here's the, here's the secondary effect of that. It was nighttime. There was no ambient light, meaning that they had to have had some type of enhanced camera on that drone to be able to see whether agents were on the ground or not. So the game is consistently evolving. It's consistently changing. And uh, some of the intelligence that I was able to collect on the armored vehicles on the Mexico side of Miguel Alimán stage, just like we saw in Culiacon. You know, the difference here being Dan is that it's not deep Mexico. It's right on our border. And, you know, I, again, we, we don't do any changes. We, we make no changes at the national policy level and we know exactly what needs to be done guys like myself, uh, guys like Derek Maltz and other people that I've worked very closely with in the community for a very long period of time, you know, we've worked these wars before and you, we can't just leverage the department of justice.
0: In other words, we need DOD assets. We need to view this as a military issue because what, what concerns me is that I always thought, and, and this is true, that you know the Mexican government has this kind of one step, two step with the cartels and it's a, a love-hate relationship. It's a very complicated relationship. Yep. Sure. But don't we see here in some, from some of the recent developments that even when they clearly do want to go after them, you know, there's no duplicity going on. They are actually trying to go after them. They might not have the capability to execute that, not just in deep Mexico, but like you're saying, if they were to do that in Miguel Alemán, you know, in the Tamaulipas right near our border, if the cartels wanted to fight back, they might have the leverage of hosti- t- hostage taking and other, um, other forms of extortion where they could overpower them. And then like you brought full circle, Those very fit people are the ones engaging in what I would call espionage on our own soil. So what I don't understand is if you are one of those who believe that we need soldiers guarding the Turkish border with the Kurds, then by a factor of a million, we should need soldiers at our border in a much more aggressive way. What do you think the soldiers should be doing?
1: So the terrorism designation is going to give us a lot of authorities. Um, And I'm not talking about boots on the ground in Mexico. It's going to allow us to attack the money. You know, many people for a long time have been talking about, you know, follow the money. And the American people have been hearing these terms on national television. Well, it moves at a snail's pace using the Department of Justice's model. And the terrorism designation allows us to just go after their funds all over the world globally. That's just one example of the tool of national power and how it can help us on the ground, though, specifically to answer your question. Once we get the authorities, uh, the Department of Defense will be used just as it has always been used, whether it's Title 10, which is active duty or Title 32, which is uh, National Guard. They will be used as lookout listening points working in conjunction with U.S. law enforcement. U.S. law enforcement domestically will always be the lead. But the problem we have is that we do not have enough people. When you go to areas like where I was, which is ground zero in Roma, Texas, uh, this is where the largest intelligence collection by the Gulf Cartel is being conducted against U.S. law enforcement anywhere in this country. It is absolutely stunning. Uh, you are watched everywhere you go when you get off Highway 83 and you go down t- toward the water. There, there, there are lookouts everywhere, and you see them. Um, what these, what these soldiers will do is they will help man areas to be uh, detection. And they will be basically tripwires for us to be able to say, law enforcement, here they come. And that's what they're doing now. The problem is we need it at a a much more enhanced hyper level than what we're we're seeing now. I saw some of those soldiers while I was down there sitting in vehicles. Uh, They're doing great work, but there's not near enough of them. I mean, Dan, the carrizo and the environment is so thick. It is incredible. You can't see in some areas five feet in front of you. Never mind having... You know, a few of these lookout points every 10 miles. I mean, it's but but, but Jason,
0: it's not just the numbers, isn't it also the tactics? At some point, you can't be in a defensive posture where we convey the message to them that we will never ever cross that river, no matter what. Even if we had a million soldiers at our own border, but if they are able, see, Jason. I, I can't go up to you and have my fist in your face and not touch it. But like right there, that, that's in your space and you have the right. And what would be prudent is to, you know, push back. My concern is if we have the the Hakons that are stationed watching us and the drones. I mean, don't we as a, I mean, if, if someone were doing that to Russia. Okay, someone were doing that to Russia, would they be like, well, they're not on our side of the border? I mean, they'd clean it out. So my my thing is, don't we at some point either have to clean it out or create a trusted partnership with a Mexican military that knows we mean business this time, not just throwing some free Merida initiative money at them and they'll they'll do it. But then my follow-up question is. Doesn't that have the complication of, well, if we don't do it ourselves and we train the Mexicans, well, we can't trust some of them. I mean, isn't this how the
1: Zetas were created? A lot of them we trained. Yeah, that that you know, a lot of the way that's publicized, uh, it gets really confusing. I can tell you as someone that has worked with some of those vetted units that you're talking about who are incredible people fighting for their country, knowing that their their own family members' lives are at risk. Um, This is winnable. We know how to do it. We truly do. The problem is in a lot of cases on on these operations specifically in in more detail is on our side. We don't have the leadership pushing and driving operations. Look, I want to be very open and honest with the American people here. These are massive intelligence failures. Intel is about prevention. When you have like we had on August 13 in Miguel Aleman. With convoys of armored and non-armored vehicles entering Miguel Aleman on our border, hundreds of thousands of rounds fired in a 48-hour period, uh, uh, massive explosions from uh, everything from RPGs, laws, rockets. Um, you had 40 millimeter mic mics going off, grenades on our border. It didn't get any news play, right? You heard me screaming about it. You allowed me to come on here and talk about it when our agents were fired upon with over uh, just shy of 50 rounds. And I actually got to go down there and sit with them, Dan. I, it was incredible. Front, I was there in Texas, right? Right in front of Texas. Buddy, buddy, I was on the island, and I had these incredible men and women around me uh, protecting us as we did some interviews. I can't talk about the interview itself publicly yet, um, but it is going to be something incredible for the American people to see what these folks are doing. And I, one thing I can say that I've got to get out about Border Patrol is talk to one of the boat officers. We just received a huge award for rescuing a six-month old who had drowned and he literally got the, the water out of his lungs, saved him. I mean, great great man drops mm-hmm. us off and that, that exact boat goes down the river a few hours later and rescues three people that were drowning again. So there are incredible stories happening down there but, on those. I, I, I don't mean great to people.
0: knock that, Jason, great. but you know what I'm going to say? I get it. So we, we are the global rescue service and, and we're not not. And then certainly where you can save a life, you can save a life. I want to see dead cartel members on the other side. I mean, that's what I want to see. And do you have any confidence that the boat patrols have any more authority that if this were to happen again, they would take a more of, a, of an aggressive stance against them?
1: They do have the authority to defend themselves where what you're really talking about, though, and where the real concern is, is the the operational tempo and what we're doing in Mexico to strategically target cartel leadership and take away the nodes. Because really, today we're fighting dark networks and you don't go after them the way we used to. What you do is you look at what type of network you have. Is it a hub? Is it a spoke? Is it a wheel? Is it a mesh network? And then you go in and you take out the key nodes. And we know how to do that without having. To have a massive amount of bloodshed. I mean, counterinsurgency operations have been conducted a long time. But here's where I get frustrated, Dan, and this is what drives me to drinking. I these executive leaders in the State Department and in the intelligence community do not understand what it takes to go from mere suspicion to reasonable suspicion to probable cause, and how slow our system moves. Oh, so yeah. you hear them. You hear them talk nationally, right, about how. Uh, this is a counterinsurgency problem in mexico and we need a counterinsurgency strategy with a holistic approach no shit, that's exactly <laughs> what we need but here's what they'll say these are the very same people that say but we don't want to give the uh state or we don't want to designate the cartels as terrorist organizations so here's the deal without those authorities how the hell do you think you're going to have a holistic approach when you can't bring in dod to run 24 7 operations I, I just lose it. So these are people who have never been on the ground. They do not understand the threats we face. They have never set across from a saccadio and they've never built the relationships with the Homeland Security Enterprise to do exactly what I'm talking to you about. And I look, I, if you can't tell, I'm tired and I'm frustrated because we know what needs to be done. And I hope someone from the administration is watching. I hope they're paying attention because. I I would tell you, you know, the president has asked executive leaders to come into his office and he has made the request. Do we need to designate these cartels as terrorists? And repeatedly, Dan, repeatedly, he has told no. And I hope the next time he is, those individuals are fired. Are fired. And and let's discuss one of those individuals.
0: Dylan Udom, who's the most random acting administrator of the DEA, Um, He was a career lawyer, not a law enforcement guy. He's never served in the DEA. It's very bizarre. So we know he is against the designation. What happened in Culiacan is a perfect example. DEA wanted the guy. Mexican military was sent out to get him for them. Okay, that, that worked good. And this is where the mindset of treating them like a criminal organization versus a terrorist organization matters. Because they acted like terrorists and they had the resources and the weaponry to back it up. So like, if you're a matter of, Oh, this is a drug war. I want a drug Lord. You're not going to, it's not going to work. What this demonstrates is every time DEA wants to do this, they're going to, as you said, rehash this true and tried uh, modus operandi of theirs to take hostages. And meaning, even if they successfully lose a guy to the Mexican government, They'll come back and retaliate in order for them to, to, you know, give up the guy. So obviously you need DOD assets. I, I, this is what I don't understand. We're focusing on the drugs, but not the people and the weaponry.
1: Uh, listen, what you just said is the real issue. What do we do? We focus on the drug problem. We hear it all the time. We focus on the human smuggling. We focus on the human trafficking. When do we focus on those who are benefiting and causing it all? And that is the cartels. And look, the Western Hemisphere, the U.S. State Department. And I'm going after their leadership, not their people. Look at what they've given us. They've given us Venezuela. They gave us the broken Meridia initiative that spent billions of U.S. tax dollars in Mexico and absolutely failed. They gave a judicial system to Mexico, failed. They gave us MS-13. And I can tell you as a guy that was on the ground in Brownsville, Texas, as an undercover narcotics agent, as MS-13 was pouring across our border. And every one of them that we were mandated to debrief said the same thing over and over again. They were going to the East Coast. Now look at the epidemic that we've got on the East Coast. And then they've given us these cartel wars because they've done nothing to limit it. And every day that we wait, Dan, every day that we wait, it's going to make it much more difficult to reduce their capabilities. It's not about taking out all the cartels. What it is about is reducing their capability so that the government of Mexico can treat them like criminals again and go after them. But just to set the stage, they're operating globally. Sinaloa cartel is estimated at over 30,000 operatives. They're operating in 54 countries around the world. This is not just a U.S.-Mexico issue.
0: You know, I'm looking here. Gosh, I have so much I want to get to and we're running out of time. I wanted to get your um just uh your take on this. Borderland Beat has an article. I don't know if you've seen it, that MS-13 is going to Mexico to train in growing their ranks. Um I thought I thought this was a big deal. Um because you know, we view them as separate entities. Obviously, um MS-13 originates in el salvador not mexico but to me this was very scary um and again i don't know if you've seen this and you you know if you've you've gone through this but basically their title was ms13 members sent to mexico to quote make the gang grow more um they tried to establish alliances with cartels in mexico a witness reveals in the mass trial of more than 400 members of the maras which resumed on tuesday this is last week Um, Noah said that Maras was sent to Guatemala and Mexico to make the gang grow more and establish contact with the drug trafficking organizations. What do you know about? I mean, we know, obviously, DA has said for a while, MS-13, Mexican Mafia, a lot of these gangs are distributors for the cartels. You put that out when you were at Texas DPS in the annual gang threat assessments that Texas puts out. What what have you learned from your trip on, on, on this angle, the gang angle, and how it ties back into the cartels?
1: Yeah, none of it's new, buddy. It's been going a <laughs> long time. I, I, I was a lieutenant in, in Laredo, Texas in 2009, and I had a captain with the Mexican Mafia that worked with us for a short time. And even back then, they were getting training from the Los Zetas in the training camps. We were stunned. We didn't realize it at the time. And as a result of getting that, they contract. With the cartels, so they are contractors. That's the way to look at it, and uh, they get reduced uh, uh, price on drugs. So I, I'll give you an example. Back then, cocaine was running around ninety five hundred to thirteen five a kilo, depending upon how many kilos of cocaine you got at the time. The ma was getting it, texas mafia was getting it for about seventy five hundred, and in return, they were operating in Mexico helping the Zetas against the Mexican government and rival cartels. So they're going through the training camps and it's the same thing. All of these gangs, there are many of them and that's actually in our gang threat assessment why you saw us tiering them. Those gangs that contract and work in Mexico directly supporting cartel operations are what we in Texas call tier one gangs along with many other requirements. The types of crimes they commit, juveniles from the United States that they recruit, uh, the types of operations they're able to conduct, We've been doing this for a decade to the U.S. State Department and Washington. Can you wake up? None of this is new. None of it. And and I'm being honest
0: with you. Again, if you go in the State Department and DOD, it's all Syria all the time now. And I have what to say about the Middle East. And we've had Colonel Steiner on talk about that. That mainly is a visa immigration problem. As the 9-11 Commission staff report said, don't let them in. So that's that's the deal with that. But on a day to day basis, there aren't that many Turkish gangs that are, you know, there's the security threats. But my gosh, I mean, Texas, I'm seeing it all over now. MS-13 used to be more of an East Coast problem. I'm seeing tons of MS-13 cases in your state of Texas, in addition to the other gangs you have there. Um, all the gruesome killings we see here, it's, you know, the cartels are more in the background here. Then they are in Mexico, obviously, but the gangs that are contracting and like you said, training with them and then every gang needs money to operate. They need revenue. Well, that's where the drugs come in. Um, so to me, this is why if you consider yourself a Mitt Romney, Nikki Haley, Mike Pence, for that matter, um, they're all kind of that neoconservative. Cloth that they're very, very obsessed with a permanent present military presence in the middle east and all these countries no real plan for what we're doing for whom on behalf of what against whom but they're very concerned if we don't do that we're going to have problems at home but then bring in extra immigrants from there but that that's a different story but dude these guys are in our country and again you know muslim terrorists they're going to work within muslim communities not that they're all doing it but it's going to be within those communities they're growing but Mexican communities are the largest of anything in our country. So they're going to be ensconced in those communities in every part of our country. I want to get comment from you on this case. I discussed this with the colonel. I don't know if, if the two of us ever discussed this. It was a couple of weeks ago. There was this case where this guy um, died on I-70 outside of Indianapolis. Tragic car crash. They came and they found... Two cars beaten up, one worse than the other. The guy was like crushed, totally dead. They declared him dead. And the guy that, you know, ran into him, you know, he was taken to the hospital, but he wasn't dead. And all right, that happens every day. Car crashes all over the country. A couple days later, the toxicology report comes back. Oh, whoops. The guy that died had a bullet in his head. Um so I mean it was a horrific car crash. So, you know, on the scene, they were like, yeah, he, the head trauma. They, they didn't even notice it. What the police now think happened, and and I don't I didn't prepare, so I don't have the name in front of me. Um, but I I'm the only one in the country, by the way, who confirmed this. The guy, the the other guy was an illegal alien. He had a headshot. It was, I think it was a nine millimeter um headshot. And What I think the mistake the guy made was the assassin was that he got he had to get close to him and then the victim swerved into him. So he lost control of the situation. He got banged up and he was probably medevaced out and the gun was in his car. So police, they they, they nailed him. They got him. They got the ballistics. Jason, to me, this this is crazy, a crazy story, which, by the way, none of the Indianapolis media to this day has reported that that guy there is an ICE detainer on and he is an illegal alien. That's a very big deal. I reported that. I got that from ICE's Chicago office. He is an illegal alien. To me, this is what I see in Mexico. You know, this is like the movies. I mean, I don't know about you. I think I'm pretty good with a handgun. I practice a lot at the range. But you're going on I-70, 70 miles an hour, let's say. Both cars are traveling to get a headshot. Now, I don't know if they ruled out other shots, but it wasn't mentioned. It seems like one shot headshot that looks like a Sicario in our country.
1: Well, and you know, look, look, let's be real honest. This is one incident, just like the other nine sexual assaults that happened in, I think it was Maryland, Maryland here not yeah. too long ago. Right. From illegal aliens. Um, Dan, this is the real issue. And it goes back to everything you hear me talk about with the Uniform Crime Report, that transnational crime is not captured. Its links to illegal aliens are not captured. Its links to gangs that transit our border is not captured. And what it is, is a failed evolution of a program. And so what's happened is it has divided our nation. (laughs) Rather than fixing it. So what is happening is through great work of journalists, they're going out now and trying to do these one offs. And man, you you hear me talk about this all the time, right? We're doing these this one incident here and this other one over here. And we're we talk about them. But at the end of the day, they are happening from sea to shining sea across our country. And the American people feel it and they feel it in their communities and every night at their dinner table, they're discussing it. And the reason they're hearing crime is down, it's not up, is because the crimes that are occurring are not captured. So what are the fixes? How do what are the policy changes that we make that are going to truly fix this in our country and allow our government agencies, specifically law enforcement, 18,000 of them across the country to get refocused back to really lower crime in this country? First, we designate the cartels as terrorist organizations. Second, we fix the broken uniform crime report so that exactly what you talked about, are captured, and the American people can finally see where we are along with our elected leaders and then refocus programs because we are never going to get billion-dollar programs along with multi-million-dollar programs changed uh, until we have the data to drive it. And I truly don't disagree with that to a degree. I mean, if I'm in a leadership position, and I'm trying to get a new program. I've got to be able to validate it. I really do, especially when millions of U.S. taxpayer dollars are being spent. But when you have the broken FBI system of UCR yeah. and, you know, right now, the next thing they're going to say is, yeah, but Jason, we, we've we got NIBRS. Well, let me just NIBRS is the National Incident-Based Reporting System. And yes, it does capture a lot of the crimes that you and I talk about. Dan, the damn thing is 35 years old. It was implemented in 1984. It doesn't capture transnational crime. It will not link it to illegal aliens. And it doesn't capture Latin long data. So it's broken. We need a ComStat model like NYPD. And I'll just close with this last thing. And I'll just say this. And I really hope someone in the administration is listening because these things are fixable. If you're saying right now, well, Jason, you're a damn good car salesman. You should have been that instead of what you did. Uh, How do we know that what you're saying is true? Here's what I would tell you. Look at the New York City Police Department. In the early 90s, what did they have? 2,200 murders a year. They created ComStat. They sent their agents global. They used used the data to drive their day-to-day operations. Today, that city's police department has less than 350 murders sustained year after year. Those of us who've been on the ground building programs, fighting transnational crime, we know how to fix it. We need to we need to make these yep. policy changes.
0: But now it's going we, back the other way, and especially in New York City. And, and again, this is more domestic crime we're getting into. And you would appreciate this, you know, the new uniform crime statistics came out, and after we actually, you know, after twenty years of going down, it was going up. Now this past year it went down again. Guess what? The Bureau of Justice Statistics annual victimization survey, where they interview victims were you a victim of crime that is shown to have gone up so that, that that shows that there's something off with the uniform crime reporting there because nobody on the streets believes that we're on a downward trajectory anymore in most cities it might not be back to where it was in the 80s although in some places like in california and in baltimore it it, it is pretty much that bad um but but it definitely is turning back but i think i want to return to one of the things you said the importance of quantifying what's transnational because i said this with honor killings there are certain things that are inherent to everywhere so you know you have rapists and robbers of every ethnicity every group of people and you're going to have that but then there are certain crimes that really we don't have much a certain or it might be a crime but it's committed in a way that's like hey is this a trend where is this coming from it's very disturbing honor killings is something we didn't have it's it's not native to us it's we've had some pakistani immigrants and you see well it's important to know is that are americans doing this oh no we're we're importing this so maybe that's an immigration problem maybe we need to be more careful on visas similar thing when i see this thing in indiana and they're being tight-lipped i haven't found anything more on it so it's hard to comment directly and understand that but dude that's crazy i mean we have about fifteen thousand homicides a year but that's not A typical homicide. I mean, high speed on a highway, headshot, random. I mean, that looks like a type of thing would go go on in Mexico. And indeed, the guy is an illegal alien, I believe, from Mexico. um, That is confirmed. If we're starting to have that, I'm seeing the duct tape, you know, the duct tape stuff. Derek always used to talk about that. Even the president mentioned that and the media was making fun out of him. These are it's not like it never happened in America but it's disturbing when you start to see a trend of that, you know, that is fundamentally an external problem, and that's a very different policy prescription than, something's, than something that's more inherently internal.
1: Yeah. And really, I think what you're getting to is that, when, you know, systemically, these organizations learn learn a process on how to kill and how to how to commit these kind of crimes. And so what you're seeing is trade crap being talked about a lot, a lot more. And that's that's indicative of anything linked to the cartels. They don't walk around with the Born to Lose tattoo on their forehead, Dan. They, they are very smart and they collaborate with every criminal organization they can. They're extremely, you know, cart, the word cartel, a lot of people forget this. The whole meaning behind it is agreement. That's what it is. Cartel's an agreement. It's just been bastardized into what it is today. So, um, you know, we've got to look at them differently. And when they're working with everyone from Hezbollah all the way down to street level gangs, the game has shifted. But it is fixable. All of this. And what you know, when you're talking about some of the things you just mentioned, those are emerging crimes. And emerging trends and emerging tr- crimes change rapidly and all the time. But when you don't collect the data, You can't win on it. And when, you know, Texas, we were able to collect the data. So we were able to, you know, people ask me all the time, how did you get eight hundred and eighty million dollars from one Texas legislative session? And I tell them it was pretty simple. We just showed them how transnational crime was affecting Texas. Yeah. But while that is great for Texas and I'm proud of what Texas did, it's the nation that we need to be concerned about. And as these crimes emerge and change, we are never going to get ahead of this. Until the data is there to drive it. And I would just ask the American people, you're running your companies all over. Could you run your company on data from the uniform, just as we are in law enforcement, from the Uniform Crime Report that was created in 1934? And the FBI right now wants you to go to NIBRS, created in 1984. Could you run your company effectively on data that was that is now 35 years old? can you do it we we They're should know right
0: every crime in this country committed by a foreign national at least the ones we catch we should know that and yet it's never reported the drunk driving because it's a very different story how much of this is being imported and and i mean that would determine everything that we do you got to have the data one of the things i hope to do you know we did this with the drug crisis we showed the data I was like, oh, there's an opioid crisis. Oh, Johnson and Johnson, prescriptions, doctors, pain patients. Whoa, whoa. And then I actually got real data. i like, this is all driven by the cartels. It's illicit drugs. It's the drug addicts. It nothing to do with pain patients. You're cutting off, you know, someone's toe to treat a brain tumor. I mean, you know, that's the thing. That's the problem with not having the right data. I hope to be doing this on this show in the coming days with the homeless problem. Suddenly we hear, yeah. last couple of years, homeless. Where's that coming from? Where is that coming from? Why not? Now, I am my theory. Some of it's transnational driven. A lot of it is also criminal justice reform, easing of drug crimes, easing of, of, of incarceration. Um, lots of stuff going on. We're about out of time. Um, I'm just gonna close with this. And by the way, you gotta follow Jason if you want to see the latest videos and pictures that nobody else has. I mean, the intel he has, no one else has. Um, Jason underscore Jones and Jason is spelled J-A-E-S-O-N. I'm um, on Twitter, Jason underscore Jones. Um, definitely um subscribe to his Twitter account if you're not already there. Jason, you also have a website, right?
1: Yeah, I do. It's J-A-E-S-O-N. A little different spelling there. Uh Jones.com.
0: Oh, perfect. jasonjones.com Look, I, I put this out at the end of my Friday column, and it seems like it's gained a lot of traction. There's, this boils down to one thing. There is a simple reason why members of the political elite will not decry the blood being shed in Mexico by the cartels that operate on our side of the border even as they speak incessantly about Syria because the seriousness of such a discussion would lead the public to demand what a more robust response to our border to the immigration problems the cartels well in order to keep that illegal immigration gravy train rolling Their solution is see no evil, hear no evil. It's not even a matter of disagreement. They don't want to see a problem because, (laughs) dude, if you got Syria on your border, you can't exactly have an open border. Remember, everyone's talking about a second wave of a refugee crisis out of Syria now. At the end of the day, that's going to be Europe's problem. But we have our own Syria, and that's Mexico. And as AP reported today, followed by the Washington Post, the numbers are ticking up with asylum. And the political tools we have to fix that are a lot tougher than the ones we use with Central America. So this is all why you guys should care. Um, Send me your questions and concerns for Jason. I'll answer them on subsequent shows. Um, He always gives me the time of day. And Jason, thanks so much for recording over a weekend. I really appreciate it. And uh, just keep us updated. All right.
1: Absolutely, buddy. And listen again, thanks for everything you're doing to tell the folks what's really happening down there and most importantly, how it affects them. How it affects them. That is
0: right. Thank you so much. That was Jason Jones, retired captain of Texas DPS, former uh, counterterrorism and intel division commander. Really worked to, uh, uh, he he worked against the cartel. So he knows this. Sadly, we don't have people at a federal level doing this. I'm going to be out tomorrow. Um, I'm going to be out Tuesday. By Wednesday, the world could be burning, but we will be here same time, same place, same issues with the same relentless focus. Thank you so much. God bless you all.